The rest of you, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be talking about truth this morning. John uh, begins his letters. We have the Gospel of John with the four Gospels. Then we have three letters in a row, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This would be John's first letter, and he is talking about the kingdom things. He's talking about truth. He's talking about wisdom. He's talking about deception, false teaching. He's talking about love. John covers a lot of territory in his first letter, 1st John. And so he begins the letter with the power of God. Then he talks about the love that God has for us and the love that we should have for one another. He talks about God being light, and in him there is no darkness whatsoever. John is uh, giving us warning about false teaching there in chapter 2 of his first letter. And then he speaks about a description of these false teachers in verse 22 and 23. But before that, he gives us a great word of encouragement so that you and I could understand some things about what happens when you are saved, what happens to you after you are saved, and what the process would be. He speaks about truth in those words. So what is your purpose as a Christian after you've been saved? Well, we talk about uh, leading people to God. We talk about being a witness for Jesus Christ. We talk about fellowshipping together. But in John's idea, the purpose of you being here as a Christian is to live and tell truth. That's why you're here. The world is searching for truth, right? They really want truth. They just don't know where to find it. God left you behind in order to show them what truth is, in order to tell them what truth is. The world needs truth, amen? Even now, as ever before, our world needs to know what truth is. Our task, therefore, is to declare it and to live it in front of them, to demonstrate what truth is. John, as I said, makes us aware of Antichrist here in chapter 2, not just the Antichrist, but the spirit of Antichrist. Those who go out and teach that Jesus was really not God, that he was a man, that he was not God coming in the flesh. And we have a lot of denominations in our country today and across the world that believe that. Jesus was a good man. He was not the Son of God. He was not God in the flesh. Now, most of these denominations, I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, most of these that we have in our country, at least, started from a church. Somebody in a church got disgruntled about the gospel or the acceptance of Christ as God. So they went out and they started their own belief system. And we have Jehovah's Witness and we have Mormonism. They want to call themselves Christian, but they're far from that. And so we have that right here in our society. John gives us warning. They use terminology that you and I understand. They use church lingo. They use church posture, right? They have a, a very similar setting like we are here today in a Christian church. And we uh, have these belief systems using that same posture that you and I might use in a, in a church. They use the same practices that we use. John warns us, beware, these are demons in disguise. Amen. They're demons in disguise. So he writes to us that we can have the knowledge of truth 
and we can understand it, and he tells us when we receive that. So let's stand together and read when that takes place. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. All right? Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Let's pray again. Father, bless your word in every heart in this place. Help us be attentive to your message, to your word today. Let your word speak volumes to us this morning. Help us to find ourselves in Christ before we leave this room. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, the King James Version says there in verse 20 that you know all things. And so we had to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because there's nobody that's more uh, oh, repulsive than a know-it-all. So as Christians, we don't know all things as the King James might lead you to believe. Now, I can see where they might say we know all things in regard to Christianity, in regard to truth. And I really believe that's what the King James is trying to say. But your Bible probably says that you know, or all of you know things. All of you, all things you can know as a Christian. So to get past that, where is this anointing that he speaks about? What is anointing? Well, we read in the Bible, anointing is rubbing some oil and pouring oil on the head or rubbing it on the forehead or anointing someone by choosing them. So God has chosen you and anointed you with the Holy Spirit. Right? Let's read that again. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. All right? So you've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, how do I know that? Well, we have to go back in the Gospels, and we can go back even to the Gospel of John. The same writer who wrote this wrote John the Gospel. And in verse 37 of chapter 7, it says this. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For his innermost being for from, it should say, for from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. What's Jesus saying? That I'm going to anoint you with a blessing. And when you come to believe in me, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. What's a river? Well, it's something that's refreshing. It's something that can change Life, it can change geography. It's something that is uh, palatable. It is something that is good. It is something that we all would enjoy a day by a stream or a river. So Jesus says, from you, Christian, will flow this stream of living water. Okay? Great that we have that. What is he talking about? He says in verse 39, the next verse, John writes, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when you became a believer, 
Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit. And from you, Christian, now flows this stream of living water, refreshing, exhilarating, changing life, moving people, doing things differently. That's what Jesus said would come from you. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God. Now back to our text, we can read, he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. Amen? We know. We receive Jesus Christ. We receive the Spirit of God. I'll guarantee you, it was not something you felt. When you were reborn, you didn't feel the Spirit move in. The same way when you were born, you didn't feel life come to you. The same way when you were reborn, you did not feel the Spirit came into you. It's not by feelings. It's not by emotions. It's by God giving you the Spirit to live by. The Spirit to be in charge of you. The Spirit to show you the way. The Spirit to direct you. And so, it's not a feeling. It is life that was given to you. Moral life. You suddenly began to think differently when you became a Christian, didn't you? Things started bothering you now that you used to be involved in before you became a Christian. Why? The spirit of life has moved into you. The moral spirit. The life-giving spirit. The life of judgment spirit. All of those things happened to you when you received Jesus Christ. When you believed, you were saved and the spirit of God moved into you. We had it read to us this morning, but let's look at it again in Ephesians 1. In Him, in God, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. When? When I heard the message and when I believed, the Spirit was given to me. At that moment, amen, I became a Christian. I became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done. And at that moment, He moved into my life. Life came to me. Life came to you. Let's read on. In Him, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. God gave you His Spirit as a pledge. He said, one day I'll finish the transaction. One day you'll be with me. One day we will be together. That day is coming for all the Christians throughout eternity. Amen? Amen. That day is coming for us. So God's given us the Spirit, this anointing that God has chosen there in verse 20 to give us. He says, now you know, or now he says, now you all know. Okay, what do I know? John, tell me what you're talking about. Now I know all things, right? That's what King James says. But we don't want to go quite that far yet. But we all know something. We all know what John is writing about. We know truth. Look in verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. When the Spirit moved into me, something happened. I suddenly was equipped to be able to understand truth. I was suddenly given the needs, the tools, the, the process, the equipment to understand 
the things I've never understood before. How many of you read the Bible before you were a Christian and you couldn't get it? Anybody in here? Okay. What happened? We were not equipped to know truth. It wasn't until the spirit of truth was given to you that the Bible made any sense. Because it is truth. Amen? So an unregenerated man cannot understand truth because he's not equipped to understand it. He doesn't know it, and he can't know it within himself. And so it takes the Holy Spirit of God coming upon us, coming into us, life moving into us to make us understand truth. This is what John is telling us this morning. Now, what does that mean when the Spirit moves in? Suddenly, suddenly I am equipped to understand things from the very beginning. And I don't mean the beginning of your life. I mean the beginning of creation. I can understand that. I can see how God created the heavens and the earth. I can see all, I can see things to the end. There is an endless shore of truth out there that the Christian can now understand. Amen. I see past all the hubbubaloo in this world. I see through all of that deception. I see the end. I see judgment. I see Christ on the throne. I see him surrounded by his people. I understand that now. I can see that. I am a part of that crowd. How about you? I've received the spirit of life in me. Not because I wanted it, but because I became a believer and Christ wanted me to have it. He wanted me to know. He wanted you to know. And so He's giving you this truth and this wisdom that you can live by. You no longer have to walk in confusion. You no longer have to be inadequate in life. You don't have to live in the darkness anymore. You don't have to wonder about certain things. You don't have to be uncertain about anything anymore. God's given you truth. The uncertainty comes from Satan playing tricks, scheming against you, raising doubts about God's Word or God's truth. That's his deceptive game from the very beginning. Don't let him trip you up with that. You know all things about truth. You can see through his deception. You know what's on the other side of his plan and his schemes. You don't have to be unable anymore. Because you know now. The question is, do you know? Do you have that spirit? Do you know those things that I'm describing to you right now? For the first time in your life, you can have the ability to know truth. To know what's real. To know what's right. You have the Holy Spirit. Go back with me to the upper room. Alright, Jesus is there the night of his arrest in the garden and he's having the Passover meal with the disciples and he's teaching them a lot of things from John 13 all the way through John 17 in John's gospel is that night together in the upper room with the disciples. In John 16, 12, Jesus says this, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What did he want to share with them? He wanted to share truth with them. From beginning to end, he wanted his disciples to see 
reality, to see what was real. But they weren't able to bear it. Why weren't they able to bear it? They didn't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not come to those men until Pentecost. Amen? 50 days after the crucifixion. They did not have the Spirit of God. They were not able to bear the things that were being that Jesus could have taught them. Why not? They weren't equipped. They couldn't bear what Jesus wanted to teach them. The world is full of information. God's world is full of information. Inside and out. But fallen man, the unregenerated man, the lost man, cannot gather up information of truth. He's unable to do so. Hey, he could come up with some good plans. He can come up with some good schemes. Maybe you and I have tried those. I used to look for truth before I was a Christian. I used to look for life. I tried all the avenues this world offered. Probably you've done the same. Many of you have looked in every hole, in every alley, in every place for life, for truth. But you couldn't find it. It was a dead-end road. Amen? It was a dead-end road. It was not until God gave me His Spirit when I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ that I was able to see truth, that I was able to understand. And so it is with these disciples. Unregenerated man cannot discover the secrets of the universe. He cannot discover the secrets of even himself. That's what Jesus said on the screen. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot understand them. Now, look at the next verse. When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. Wow! When you became a believer, you got that Spirit. Now you can see what's going to come. Now you can see truth. Now you can understand reality. You don't have to live with one foot in and one foot out anymore because it doesn't work that way. That's a dead man's land, one foot in and one foot out. There is no fence in Christianity. Jesus said this, you're either with me or you're against me. There is no in between. Stop living that way. Stop living the lie that Satan tells you all is okay. We just read there is no lie in the truth. That's what he ends his text with. But for now, Jesus says the Spirit's going to come. How is the Spirit going to teach that? What's the curriculum going to be? The next verse, verse 14, He will glorify me, for He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Jesus says the Spirit of God, He's not going to speak what He wants to speak. He's going to speak what He hears from me. That's why when you read the Bible, it comes alive to you. Jesus is speaking to you. The Spirit is revealing that to you. A year later, you'll read the same verse and you'll just go right past it because it's not speaking to you at that moment. But that's why the Bible is living and active because Jesus is alive and He speaks from it. Now I can understand when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I understand now what He means by describing Himself as the truth. That's not even a description. He is truth. Truth is a person. Jesus Christ is truth. 
And we need to understand that. Look at the next verse. He says here. Uh Oh, I didn't put it up there. Well, it says that Jesus says that God takes what is his and he discloses it to us. And so God discloses to us all the things that God has. All the secrets, all the little mysteries, all the things that Paul wrote about, the mysteries of God. All those things are disclosed to the Christian. The unregenerated man can't see it, can't read it, can't take it in. He's not equipped. The Holy Spirit comes and He equips us for that person. So what's missing today in our world? Truth. Wisdom. What is wisdom? It's the application of truth. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus Christ. When you have wisdom, you apply Jesus Christ to everything in your life. And it fits. It goes well together. In 1 Corinthians, we had that read to us this morning. I would like to say it again. Yet, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature as a Christian. However, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. you got to catch that. You really got to catch that. Listen to it. God has, let me read it again. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. You don't often think about you being glorious. We kind of run from that thought, don't we, as Christians? We want to humble ourselves. Man, there's nothing glorious about me. That's our thought process. But in God's eyes, He has glory for you. And I don't mean equality with Him. I don't mean that you're going to be up there uh, side by side, good old friends and pals sharing in the glory of God. God has a separate glory for you. And He spoke about that in the hidden wisdom. And Paul tries to unravel that for us. God has set aside you for glory. I want you to know you're worth writing to. You are worth God doing that for. God wants you to see that. He wants you to understand that. He wants you to see that the missing part of man is that they cannot find this glory. And because they can't find it, what do they do? They try to invent their own. That's why you see uh, denominations being born. I'm going to make my way. Uh, Watch this, the old hillbilly redneck phrase watch this right i'm going to go out there and i'm going to i want you to watch this watch what i can do and that's the philosophy of man watch what i can do see what i can do and that's not the secret to life what you can do the secret to life is what you cannot do you cannot save yourself god told job and job he said job if you can do all of these things and you can accomplish all of this, then I will admit that you can save yourself. And Job went, I can't. And therefore you can't. Job couldn't, you couldn't, I couldn't. The secret to life is not what I can do. The secret to life is understanding that I can't do anything. And I humble myself before God and He comes and He picks me up and He saves me because why? He has glory for us. He wants us to share in that glory. That's a hidden wisdom of God. That's what God would have for us to see and to understand. Paul describes these people that are 
in this way of going out and making their own way in the world and starting churches and doing things differently, Paul describes them like this. They're ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to put that on top of every university in our great land. Ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because they're not equipped. They cannot understand truth. They cannot understand God's wisdom and God's truth. Why? Truth is a person. Truth is consistency. Truth is something that never changes. It fits every fact in this universe. If you took Jesus and you placed Him on anything in this world, it would fit. If you took anything in this world and placed it on Jesus, it would fit. What does man do? We try to twist things into Jesus. We try to put Jesus in a box. We try to do things differently than anybody else has done with Jesus. You can't twist Him, you can't change Him, you can't shape Him into what you want Him to be. But He does fit every fact in this universe. So if you are trying to shove Jesus in a mold, you don't have truth, my friend. You don't have to push Him. You don't have to twist Him. You just place Him. Anything in this world, Jesus fits. That is truth. Now, what do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, look in verse 21. It says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. God's secret is this. It's not what man can do, but what man cannot do. John says, this is why I write to you, because you know this. You know truth. You understand it if you are a believer. You've been given the Spirit. Now you can grasp that truth. No longer do you have a reason for the weakness in your life. No longer do you have to wishy-washy Christianity. No longer do you have to come in here on Sunday and go to the club on Saturday night. No lie is of the truth. Do you see that? Listen, it's, it's genuine. I'm not making this up. This is what God is saying about it. This is what He says. Pay attention. Listen to and give heed to the secret teacher, the Holy Spirit. He's been given you to show you the way, to show you what truth is. John says, that's why I'm writing to you. Now, the question is, what about the gray areas between light and dark and truth and lie? I'm going to tell you, like I said before, there's no fence to, to ride between Christianity and the world. There is no division between light and darkness. There is no gray area in Christianity. It's either black sin or white light. Do you understand that? So John says, there is no lie in the truth. What does he mean by that? It means that you and I rationalize things. For instance, let me give you a story. A guy borrows a book from a friend and he reads it. And instead of giving it back to the friend, he puts it in his library at home. And then weeks later, they're out hanging out and the friend says to the guy with the book, he says, hey, let's rob that sports car sitting there in the parking lot. 
And the guy looks at him and he says, Rob a sports car? I don't do that. I just rob books. We all make judgments of our sin. Oh, I, I, I can do this because it's okay and I can rationalize it and I can reason it out. And you know what? I think God would want me to have that. No lie is of the truth. You can't live a lie and then say you're walking in truth. Do you see that? We have to understand that. We can't just go this way or that. You know, we sing a song in the church, Lord, I want to be a Christian. It's in our hymnal. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my heart. And then we close the hymnal and we put it down. And as we're being seated, we elbow our spouse and we say, look what they're wearing. Would you wear something like that to church? Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Before my seat even hits the pew, I'm gossiping. Lord, I want to be a... I'm taking truth and I'm taking a lie and I'm mingling them together. John says, there is no lie in the truth. Wow, that's getting deep now, isn't it? Got awful quiet in here. Everybody's got their feet off of the floor for some reason. I'm up here like this myself because I, I, I'm stepping on my own toes, Right? I don't want to rationalize my sin. I don't want to make it okay. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in a lie and say I'm living in truth. But that's what John is telling us here. We're lumping light and darkness together. John says, no more. Don't do it anymore. I am writing this to you because, not because you don't know what to do, because you do know what to do. You do know the truth. And there is no lie in the truth. And so that fits every one of us in this room somehow or some way. The question I want to ask you is, do you know the difference? Let me, let me give you a, a warning. One day you're going to stand before Him. And you're going to give an account of your Christian life. Before the gaze of Jesus Christ. And I will promise you right now that all of your excuses will melt away. You'll have nothing to say of all the things that you rationalized and all the reasons that you thought you were right. You will have nothing to stand on. And he'll stand there with his arms like this, just looking at you. And you'll have nothing to say. No excuses will work before him. Oh, I can make them now. I can make excuses to myself now. But when I stand before Him, I won't be able to open my mouth because He knows everything about me. And He told me today, Clay, no lie is of the truth. You better get yourself straightened out. You better start flying right and doing things the Christian way and start practicing what you're preaching. Amen? That's what He wants us to do. Why am I left behind in this world? To live the truth, to declare the truth. What are people seeing in your life? What are people seeing in my life? What are people seeing in our lives as Christian people? John says, I'm writing this to you because I want you to be able to learn. I want you to be able to grow. I want you to be able to be helped. John says, I'm writing this to you because you're worthy to be written to. God has glory for you. 
and he wants you to live in it. But the question this morning is, am I willing? Am I willing to take what I know and to live it? Am I willing to take what I know and function as a true Christian? Am I willing to take what I know and understand the purpose that God has for me? Am I willing to react to the Holy Spirit of God as He leads me day by day and step by step? John says, I'm writing to you because you know. And you know this, there is no lie in the truth of God. Let's pray. Father, bless us today with your grace and your forgiveness and your wisdom, Lord. Bless us with the courage to change our life and the conduct and the things we've rationalized and the things we've justified in our life because it sounds good or because I think I need it or because I want it. Forgive me, Lord, for acting that way. Forgive me for thinking that way. I know that your Holy Spirit dwells in us and that we know the truth. Help us to uncover it. Help us to expose it. Help us to live by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen.